hope we're learning our lesson as the people of God in the world. As we see so many words, so many promises, so much news, so much that people are putting all of their hopes and dreams in, fall to the ground to nothing. And yet the Word of God stands. The Word of God is like an anvil upon which the rest of the world's kingdoms will be crushed. And we as the people of God, we stand on that anvil as our foundation. And it is good to have an eternal solid rock of a foundation today. We've come before the Word of God as our only hope, as the only thing that is real and true and really defines what is real and true. We live in a time where you can find whatever kind of reality that you want, whatever kind of story that you want, whatever kind of narrative that you're mind wants to think and your heart wants to believe, you can search and you can find it somewhere. The problem is your heart and mind are sinful. And you're going to tell yourself what you want to believe. And there are plenty of people out there that are going to tell you what you want to believe. But we want to know what God has said. And that's what we want to believe. And so as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And we stand in light of grace and we stand in light of mercy. And the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to his disciples and he speaks words that are just dripping with grace and mercy. As he says to them, verse 11. And he said to them, to you, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. Oh, God, you are sowing your word in this moment. And God, I pray that we would have hearts that understand it, that receive it. God, we want to be people of life. We want to be people of truth. We want to be people who live with joy and happiness in this world. And the only way we can do it is if we receive the implanted word with meekness today. God, this is true. We don't stand over it today wondering if it's true. Hoping it's true. Wishing it's true. It is true. The reality is, will we be shaped by its truth? God, teach us according to your word by the power of your spirit. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. In our church, we have several men, many men, who they really think a lot of their grass. And I'm talking about their yards, their yards, the grass that they cut with lawnmowers. 
And at the top of that list is Glenn Pruitt. He is the grass expert in our church. Glenn has named every blade of grass in his yard. And over the last year, Glenn moved to a new house. And one of the things Glenn regularly does is he goes back and visits the grass at his old house and just sits outside and admires the yard that he grew. I think that's a joke. Patrick Hewson is another one of these men. Uh, Patrick usually helps me uh, seed my yard and prepare my yard uh, for winter and all those things uh, throughout the year. I haven't heard from him this year. I'm a little disappointed, but he is one of our lawn experts in our church. He usually comes over. We aerate my grass, then we seed the grass. Uh, as we do that, a lot of the seed falls on concrete. I have a concrete driveway, sidewalk. Some of the seed falls there and it, it doesn't grow. Then some of the seed we put out, it washes around in my backyard. I have a septic tank and a leach field and Back there, the grass is pristinely green. And some of you say, well, that's because you have a problem with your septic tank. Just don't tell anyone. But some of the seed also washes down into the creek. You never see it again. And in the front yard, this grass grows there fairly well, except that this last year we purchased a dog. And I didn't realize that a dog can really be detrimental to your grass. But I've learned that. If you know what I'm saying, you, you understand. I don't know how we're going to fix that. So I need Patrick to come over and teach me how to have a dog and good grass at the same time. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, you will go to hell. Now you laugh, but that's exactly the way it would have been listening to Jesus tell this parable. Because that's exactly what he does in this parable. A parable, and by the way, I need to correct myself, I'm not going to preach a false gospel. You'll understand the point of that. You don't have to be a grass expert to go to heaven. But a parable was a story about everyday life, seeding grass, going fishing, working, going to a wedding. It really wasn't anything mysterious, but the word parable means to throw alongside something. And so Jesus so often threw alongside these stories about everyday life to teach lessons about the kingdom. To, to explain how the kingdom is moving in the world. I want you to see this through everyday stories. And he would throw alongside this everyday activity. But one of the things about a parable to understand what the person telling the story is actually talking about. He had to tell you what he was talking about. And he didn't always do that in the parables. Jesus would explain the kingdom. He would teach through these stories. And people would, would stand around. What in the world is He talking about? What, what is He trying to tell us through these just ordinary, common stories? And that's exactly what we see in our passage today in Mark chapter 4. Notice verse 1. And He began to teach by the sea. And we have seen in the book of Mark... That this is something Jesus did often. He travels around the Sea of Galilee. That is His ministry context. And He has made His home at Peter's house in Capernaum on the sea. 
beside the sea. And here he is teaching. And this very large crowd has gathered about him. This would have probably been at least over a year into his ministry. And he has acquired many followers. Remember this. Jesus was popular. He was the latest, greatest teacher on the scene. People wanted to hear what he had to say. People wanted to be around him. He was performing miracles. People wanted to see those things. And so they have followed him to this point. And they are hoarding around him to the point he has to get on this boat. And we've seen in... Uh, chapter 3, where he gets on the boat to escape. Here he gets on the boat to teach. The boat becomes his pulpit. As it sat on the sea, as he sat on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea of land. And so the picture here is Jesus teaching from the edge of a boat before a large swarm of people. And we're thinking, Jesus, okay, preach the gospel. Make it extremely clear what you're about. And then Jesus just tells this story. Verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold. There's emphasis here. There's a command. Pay attention to what I'm saying. A sower went out to sow. And he sowed. And some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it scorched it. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And that was his message. Verse nine, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That that's it. And if you're one of the disciples, you're thinking, What in the world are you talking about? Soil, rocks, sun, birds. Seeding? What, what is all of this about? And that's exactly what they ask him. They get him alone. And they say, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? Verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And so he moves from this crowd of people to more of an intimate following. Probably, maybe, back at the house. And the people gathered around him. They're saying, what was that all about, Jesus? We had a crowd before us. And you were yammering about seating? What are you doing trying to start some tips for life ministry? We're we're supposed to be preaching the kingdom. And you're telling people the best way to sow seeds. People know how to sow seeds. What in the world are you doing? It would be like me standing up here today and saying, in Richmond... And we have a lot of different restaurants. We have Cane's. We have Zaxby's. We have B-Dubs. We have Chick-fil-A. Those who eat chicken, be careful how you eat. And just turn y'all, Y'all are sent. And walk off. You say, what is wrong with him? That's weird. That, that doesn't make any sense. And yet here, Jesus is proving a point to His disciples. And the point, as we'll see is the grace of the kingdom. Notice verse 11. He said to them, 
To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. There's something more going on here than parables that the crowd doesn't understand. This word for secret, it, it, it's the word mystery. But it's not something that, that a mystery that you're trying to figure out. It's a mystery that is being unveiled. And what he says to his disciples here is to you it has been given. And the word given is grace. You have been graced with the unveiling of the kingdom. It's like a curtain before you. As you see me go about and teach. As people gather around me, they want to know what I have to say as I open up the scrolls and I teach from the law and I point to myself as the fulfillment of all things. People see me as a weirdo. But to you, something is being opened up. As you see me heal demons or, or cast out demons and heal the sick, what you are seeing is something powerful and authoritative before you from God. The curtain is being opened to you in something that is amazing. It is being given to you. But notice he says, those who are outside, it's in parables. All they see is a nice story. But you see the kingdom. And why is this? Verse 12. So that they indeed may see, but not perceive. They see it, but they don't understand it. They, they, they see it, but they, they don't get it. And may indeed hear, but not understand. They, they hear the audio. They, they hear my voice reverberating in their ears, but they don't hear it. They, they don't heed it. They're not obeying. Why? Lest they turn and be forgiven. As Jesus went about and he taught the kingdom, we have seen so far that there were outsiders who seized. They were irritated about what he said. His enemies, teachers of the day, even in chapter 2, we see his own family. They don't even get it. They don't, they don't understand what he is doing. He's just a rabbi with nice stories. He's just a friend who's kind of lost his mind. They don't understand what they are seeing before their eyes. And yet Jesus turns to his disciples and says, but this mystery is being unveiled to you. And it's all of grace. You better understand what you are seeing because as you, as you see the kingdom open up, some get it and some don't. Some see the kingdom and some just hear a nice story. Some repent and turn and their sins are forgiven. To some, the storyteller tells them what they are seeing. In verse 13, he says, Do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all parables? If you, this is the parable of parables. And if you don't understand the activity that's going on here, you won't understand any other story I tell. Any of my, you won't understand my ministry. Now his point here is this parable illustrates what is being given. The kingdom. God's reign. It is coming to earth and there is grace in that kingdom. And that's why he says this parable is illustrating how the kingdom is given grace. And what he tells his disciples here is if you don't get the grace of the kingdom, you won't understand what is before your eyes. You won't see it. You won't get it. You won't turn from your sin. You won't fall before me as king. You see, the kingdom is unveiled like a parable in plain sight. 
but it's only by the grace of God that some see it. By God's grace. As the kingdom goes out, it looks like spots of grass that are growing throughout the world. It doesn't grow everywhere it's sown. But it's thrown everywhere. And it is only by the grace of God that the seed of the Word of God begins to grow. That's what Jesus is trying to teach His disciples here. The grace of the kingdom. You look around and you see that it's nonsense to others. The Pharisees, they look on Jesus' ministry and they see a rabbi hanging out with the scum of society. They don't get it. The scribes, they see someone teaching heresy. A kook teaching blasphemy. The Sadducees, they saw a political threat. These outsiders, the Romans, they saw a revolutionary backwoods criminal teaching conspiracy theories. They didn't see the kingdom before their eyes. The crowds, they saw a miracle working wizard. And the question is, why did some get it and some don't? And Jesus is teaching his disciples to you, it has been given. Grace. It's grace that you see what's going on. And if you don't see this grace, you won't get my ministry. Have you ever just stopped to think why you believe the gospel today and your neighbor who's heard the same gospel over and over doesn't believe it? Have you ever just considered that? Why is that? I got news yesterday that one of my high school friends is diagnosed with bladder cancer. As far as I know, he's not a Christian. We grew up in the same place. We went to the same churches, youth events. We heard the same gospel. I had to say, he's probably morally superior to me. He was a good guy. I was a little twit. So why did I believe the gospel and he didn't? Hasn't yet. It's the grace of God. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you don't get this, you're not going to get the kingdom. Because the kingdom comes in grace and it comes in mercy. And you're going to see the kingdom come into the world. It's going to be like sowing seed and it begins to grow in some places and it doesn't. And if you're standing around thinking it's the way you were raised... If you're standing around thinking, well, I've just worked really hard for what I have and I'm a good person and I try to do the right thing. And if you're thinking that's going to get you into the kingdom, it's not. It's the grace of God that unveils the kingdom to you. And we are to get down on our knees as we begin every day and thank God for this grace. That's what he's saying here. You're not going to get it all. You're not going to get any of it unless you start with grace and mercy. We look around at the world and we see the name of Jesus attached to certain movements as a political mascot. We look around the world and we see Jesus as just some cultural staple. That's what I do. I go to church. I do the right thing and I tack Jesus onto it. We look at the world and they see and hear and know the name of Jesus, but they are not believing in Jesus. We have people in our own life who see the story as just a fairy tale that you read at Christmas. And so why are you here today? Why is this something you would give your life for? 
Why is this something you give your money over to? Why is this something you put all of your hopes and dreams into? Why is this something that you're confident in as the rest of the world is falling apart? Why is this something that you believe? Jesus on the cross has died for your sins. That's the way you are forgiven before God and you are granted entrance into heaven forever because He was raised from the dead as the perfect payment of your sin who stands at the right hand of God for you, ruling and reigning, and He will usher you into eternity forgiven and accepted and righteous. Why do you believe that? Grace. And if you sit here today and think it's anything else, you'll miss it all. You'll miss it all. You'll think this is all about you. You'll think you're special. You'll think you'll deserve something more. Oh, I don't deserve this. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And so we delight in grace. So how does it come to us? Verse 14. The sower sows the word. Jesus says what you are seeing explained and what you are seeing done before your eyes as I teach and as I go out and say the kingdom is at hand. What you're seeing is the sower sowing the word. And so, as you hear this story of this sower who goes out, and during this time they didn't have cedars, just had a bag, and they would grab the bag and they would throw it out, and seed would go out. He says, what you're seeing here is me teaching the kingdom is at hand. I'm sowing this word into the world. Now, what's interesting about the story Jesus tells is in Palestine, the kind of throwing and sowing that he describes here would have been haphazard and wasteful. There would have been laws against just throwing the seed anywhere and it landing on bass. You couldn't just throw it anywhere at any time. There were laws about not wasting seed. And yet, Jesus describes a sower who is sowing the Word far and wide. See, while it's grace you get into the kingdom, the Word of the kingdom is spread everywhere. God is graciously and abundantly unveiling His kingdom to the nations, to the world. He is sowing this seed everywhere. And we see here, first of all, God is Word-centered. How does the kingdom come into the world? It comes through the Word being sown. God created the world through His Word. He spoke. God has revealed Himself throughout history through words, laws, promises, stories. It is words in which God has revealed Himself to the world. Jesus, the exact nature and expression of God, who is God, is called the Word in flesh. In the Bible, the Word of God is about the Word in flesh. God is Word-centered, and you cannot know God apart from His Word. You can't do it. This is how He reveals Himself to us in the world. And so to be God-centered, you must be Word-centered. Isn't it interesting that God, who knows all things, and He knew we would have things called Facebook and Twitter. He knew that. He created the world. But He did not choose to send His Son and reveal Himself to us during the digital age. So we may critique God and go, God, you know you could have done that at a much better time. You could have sent your son to earth and the resurrection could have been tick I mean, we got the digital, we got videos. 
We can reach the world before we're censored with the gospel on all kinds of platforms. Why, why did you send Jesus during a time where these things did not exist? Have you ever thought about that? One of the reasons is images always become idols that replace the real thing. It's just one reason. And God says, you, you'll have no idols before me and you will have no graven images. Because I don't want, I, I, I don't want these things to replace the real thing. No, my word is how I reveal myself. That's when Jesus comes, he says, I'm not an image. I, I, I'm not, I'm not this expression that is different from God. I am the word in flesh and I am God. I'm not a substitute. I, I, I am God, the Word in flesh. God reveals Himself through His Word. And we go to the Word to hear from God. All of God's words. You cannot know God apart from His Word about His King. And all of God's work moved to this Word that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom at hand. That's where it's all headed. From the time God spoke and said, let there be light, and He created the world, it was all headed to the light of Christ. It was all headed to the kingdom is at hand in Jesus. And, it, and the Word is kingdom-centered. And so if we're going to be Word-centered, we will be kingdom-centered. The Bible is a story about a kingdom that begins in a garden and it ends in a city. And it's the story of His Word. And so to be kingdom-centered, you must be Word-centered. And the wonderful thing about God's Word is He's still sowing it. Right now, He is flinging it out in this room. The sower is sowing right now. We have missionaries in New Orleans. We have churches that we are connected with in Peru and even to the ends of the earth. We have missionaries who are getting up this morning, who are sitting down and having Bible studies with people in huts in Africa. The word is being sown and the sower is still sowing. And so if you want to know God, you must know him according to his word. And if you want to enjoy God and be connected to what God is doing in the world, you will sow the seed of the word with him. That's what we do as a church. Churches are the kingdom planted in the world around the word. God plants us in the world to sow his word. And your joy in the world will be dependent upon you being connected to this work with God. God has planted you in Richmond, Kentucky to sow his word. Word. That is the activity of the kingdom right now. That's how it's being unveiled. And it's being unveiled in office cubicles. It's being unveiled on practice fields. It's being unveiled on Zoom calls. It's being unveiled in warehouses where the word is going forth. It's being unveiled. It is being sown in the hearts of children who are hearing the gospel in our building right now. The sower is sowing the word. I wonder if you're satisfied with this work in the world. Because we can be a part of a lot of great things. And we can do a lot of good things. But if we're not sowing the word, 
We're not doing what God's doing. He's sowing it far and wide. One of the things, conversations I normally have with Glenn every spring is I'll, I'll call him every now and then. I'll say, Glenn, I got all these weeds in my yard. Like there's purple weeds, there's red weeds, there's viney weeds, and I'll begin to describe them all to him. There's different clovers. And he's like, well, you, you don't have a grass. You just got a, you, you don't have a lawn. You just have weeds. And I'll get frustrated and tell him, well, I've tried to kill these things over and over and over again. I've sprayed gasoline and everything else on them. That's not true. But I have tried really hard to kill these things. And one of the things he will always say is, you realize it takes years to grow grass. Like spring, you have to do all these different things. You have to weed your yard. In the summer, you water it. In the fall, you have to do all these things. And one day, one day, little Jedi, you will look up and have a yard just like mine. But it takes years. So don't get frustrated. It takes a long time. Just keep working. Years, not seasons. And as we look at history, it's been years that the word is being sown. And it may be years and years and years through all kinds of different seasons where we look around and there's difficulty and there's suffering. And we think, oh, Jesus is coming back any day. Just look at the world. And then he doesn't come back. And then there's just sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. You will be satisfied if you put your head down and just plod with the word of God. And imagine a church. I often think about this. Imagine a church where it's not just, what are we, seven years in, eight years in of preaching the Word of God. Think about all that God has done in the life of this church. Imagine when our kids look up 50 years from now. 50 years, 60 years, if Jesus doesn't return, of just sowing the Word of God, what they will look up and see. The Word of God is being planted. I hope you delight in this process. I hope you're satisfied in giving yourself over to witnessing the gospel, making disciples with the Word of God. That's what God is doing. He is sowing the Word. And then he, Jesus summarizes how the Word falls and where the Word falls. Notice verse 15. He says, And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear the, the, where, when the seed that is thrown along the path, here's what I'm describing here. When these folks hear, Satan immediately comes in and he takes the word that is sown in them. In verse 15, we see spiritual warfare in sowing the word. Satan is always lurking to steal the word of God. People constantly hear the audio of the word and they don't take it in. They yawn. They scroll through Facebook and the forces of darkness swoop in to take it away. Now, we must be warned. This is the great, the, the, the great majority of the people fall into this category. And you know that if you've shared the gospel, if you've been a part of the church and preaching the gospel, the great majority of the people we talk to share the gospel with, preach the gospel to fall into this category where it just feels like it just bounces off of them and they stare blankly, yawn, and move on. Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. 
the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. There is this happy response to the word of God. Yes, this is what I've been longing for. And they have no root in themselves. But they endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. So Jesus says, follow me. And you say, yes, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, you want to go to heaven? You say, yes, I want to go to heaven. And you follow him and then you realize there's a cost to following him. And tribulation arises. People think you're weird. Family members look at you strange because you follow Jesus. And yet that night at youth camp, that revival meeting, the Carmen song was playing just as I am, was lulling in the background. Chris Tomlin's Oceans was just... And you were like, yeah, Jesus! And it got hard and you said, no, no, Jesus. You see it all the time. An emotional response that does not last because there is no root. And the horrifying words, immediately they fall away. When it gets hard, they don't last. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown in thorns. And they hear the word. And this is so dangerous right here. But the cares of the world, meaning the worries or focuses of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, meaning the lies of riches. Riches tell you you can be happy here and now. Get what you want. Do what you want. And yet Jesus is calling us to be happy in eternity. And then he says, and the desires for other things enter in. Now, what's interesting in this is he's describing just normal Everyday activity. See, we would think, oh, you know, they're tempted to do something really horrible. To look at something horrible on the Internet. To have an affair. To cheat on their taxes. And then they they turn their back on Jesus. No, he says, just everyday life distracts you. Everyday life. Just the normal activity. And he says, notice... These things enter in and choke, suffocate the word that was there and proves it's unfruitful. Proves you. You just hung Jesus on your life like a Christmas ornament for a moment. You said, I'll be a Christian. I'll go to church. I'll do the Christian things. And then you found a new hobby. And then you had kids. And then life got busy. Then you slept in one Sunday and then you got disconnected from your BFG and just everyday life just happened and it choked out the word of God that was there. Slowly, the thorns again, I want to emphasize it of everyday life choked out the kingdom until it was unnoticed. Then notice verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil, it means whole soil, enriched soil, are the ones who hear the word of God and they accept it and bear fruit. Notice he says 30, 60 and 100 fold. And he uses this language. It grows and it grows and it grows. And he says, these are those who hear the word of God and it penetrates their heart and it goes in deep and it is planted there by the grace of God. And it begins to bear fruit. 
And one of the things we see here is when the Word of God is planted deep within you, it changes your life. It changes your life. You can't stop it from growing. It's going to produce fruit. Love, mercy, grace. And so often we get to this point and we, we want to focus. We want to tell, me what, tell me what soil I am. I can't tell you. You have to tell you. What soil are you right now? The, the sower is sowing. Some say they believe, seem to believe, act like they believe, but some really believe. The question is, do you believe? You. Because as I went through all of the soils, some of you probably began to think about other people. You began to think about that person who you know has heard the gospel over and over and they, they sit there like they just don't care with a blank stare on their face and they yawn and they move on and you go, ha ha, got it. Satan. He keeps stealing the word of God from that person. Others of you may have thought about someone in your youth group growing up and every time you went to heaven's gates, hell's flames, they got up and they walked that aisle and they signed that card and they did it for five years in a row. And you thought, yeah, I, I understand why they do it now. Their heart was rocky soil. And the, the sun just scorched it out. I get it now. Or some of you may have thought about someone who hasn't been to church in a while. And you say, yeah, the cares of this world, the worries of this year is what has disconnected them. I get it. And maybe that's true for people you know, but the point of the passage is you. The sower is sowing the Word right now. What are you doing with it? And don't wonder what kind of heart you have in this moment. Have a soft, believing heart by believing right now. That's what you do. You believe this Word. You receive this Word. In this moment, you turn and you follow Jesus and you bear the fruit of the kingdom through faith and love and sacrifice. You believe the Word of God right now. Don't, Satan would love for you to begin to think about someone else right now. He would love that. He would come in and he would steal the gospel from your heart right now because you're thinking about someone else and you're distracted. That's not the point. The sower is sowing the word. The focus of the parable is on the sower. And he is giving you the word right now to receive it and accept it. Believe his word that through his cross you can have your sins forgiven. That because He was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead and rule and reign with Him forever. Believe the kingdom that is being unveiled before you right now. Believe the gospel. Some of you read that and you began to lack assurance. You began to doubt your faith. You began to question who you really are. Stop it! Believe in Jesus right now. Trust in Him right now. Follow Him right now. The sower is sowing a word of assurance in your heart if you trust in Him. Your sins are forgiven. If you believe in Him, you will be raised from the dead. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. His righteousness secures you. Believe that gospel. The focus of the parable is on the sower, not the heart. Believe in the sower. And the focus of the parable is on the sower and what he is doing, sowing. But the foundation is in what he has done. You know how we know 
that the word of the gospel will bear fruit? Because the sower has sown the word into the world. And there is a kingdom that is forming that will rise above sin and death. How do we know that's true? Is because the word made flesh is the seed that was planted in the world. And on the cross, Jesus, the Word made flesh, He was the seed that was scorched in the sun of God's wrath. Jesus, the seed of God's Word, He was the one that was trampled by those whom He created. The seed was scorched, the seed was trampled, and the seed choked on His own blood. And it looked as though Satan had stolen life of the seed from the world. And yet Jesus would tell us, no, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. On the cross, we see the seed dying. And in the resurrection, we see the fruit of the kingdom coming alive. The king The seed of the Word was cold and dead in the ground. Eyelids matted with blood. Nose stuffed with blood clots. There were no sounds in His ears. His body was beginning to stiffen up. The seed was germinating. The seed was dead. And yet, three days later, that heart thumped. And he took in air into his lungs. And he rolled off of a cement block. And his his feet felt the cold concrete on the floor before him. And we see the fruit. As he walks out of a first century coffin and he says, follow me. The Word has been sown into the ground and the Word will not return void. The Word will do everything that God intends it to do. And God intends a kingdom to come forth. As you look at God, look out at the world right now. I know it's hard sometimes. It's depressing. You look at the most insane things on news during the week. As you look at those things, what you are seeing is God is weeding out the kingdoms of this world. And He has planted something better in you. And you are a citizen of another kingdom if you believe the Word. And you are waiting for that kingdom to come. And that is good news. But there is time where plowing and breaking the soil, it looks and it feels painful. God grinds up our idols into dirt all around us. And those things make good soil full of minerals where the kingdom will grow one day and rule over all other kingdoms. There's times of great winter where you look out at the kingdom and it just looks like splotches in your front yard. But you can know one day, coming forth as bright as spring, there is a kingdom that will rule the world. And those who believe in Jesus will rule with Him. Be careful how you hear. If you have ears to hear, hear. Amen.